we've been looking at the biblical blueprint of family because culture always grows and perverts family. Culture always gets something right, but culture always also gets a lot way wrong. I've been honored to be able to travel the world for the Lord Jesus and, and be among other cultures and see how families go. And families around the world get a lot of stuff right biblically and they get a lot of stuff wrong biblically. And everybody sits there and says, yep, and my family's got everything right biblically. And it's never the case. Even our families, even in good old America, we get a lot of stuff wrong about family. We, have, we cross boundaries that God ordains. We cross boundaries that our children ordain once they're grown. And so just so you hear it very clearly... When you get married, the Bible commands that you leave mom and dad. That doesn't mean you curse them. It doesn't mean you cut them off. It doesn't mean you dishonor them. It means you're no longer under their covering. It means you no longer obey them. You always honor, but mom and dad aren't there to call you to step and fetch it. You now have the responsibility of a bride, a wife. And now you, and when you have children, now you're your own company. You become your own head, your own headship. You're the father. You're over the family. And now you, you have the power and the authorization to, do, to produce a new genealogy, a new generation, a new lineage. And this is why even grandparents now, they've got to begin to understand their role as being a grandparent. You don't intrude on your son's life. You don't intrude on your daughter's life. You don't intrude on your grandkids. There might be concerns. You might have real wisdom to give them, but that doesn't mean you have a, just permission to come over anytime you want. Uh, that, that's not even polite, much less biblical. You don't just show up and start telling folks how to do things. That's weird. These are things different cultures have developed. And so when we teach on the word, I'm mindful that even I'm from the South, though I've lived all over America. I'm from the South. We have a Southern culture of family. Cookville has its own little Southern culture of family, and it's just as weird as places I've been to in Africa or Europe or South America or uh, Mexico. Everybody's got something weird. So we've always got to bring it back to the word. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? What did the Bible say? So that led us into discussing marriage because we moved beyond what's the first commandment of the Bible, but to be fruitful and multiply. That's the reason we get married, not because we're lonely, not because we're lusty. We get married because according to the Bible, we have a garden to tend. We need more help and God wants godly seed. God doesn't give us children so that we can live vicariously through them and maybe go to the championship through them when we didn't get to go to the championship ourselves. We have children to give them to God. And God trusts us with those kids, and he anoints us with the anointing of father and the anointing of mother to disciple them and put the kingdom of God in our kids so that they go further than we ever can. And they build upon us after our own generation. That's why God gives us kids. And what I was talking actually with Pastor Caleb. He's down there this morning in Sparta preaching, and we were actually talking about his message. And the more I was kind of helping him work some stuff out, the more I said, I might just steal this message and make it my own Sunday because it just seemed really good. We were talking about Hannah in 1 Samuel. She prayed and God gave her this baby boy. And then she says, now I'm giving him back to God. And it is a very heart-wrenching story because she gets to keep him as long as she's weaning him. And she probably weaned him after three, maybe a maximum of four years. And then she just takes him to Shiloh and delivers him to Eli. And she only gets to see him once a year. And every year she brings him another little coat because he's outgrown the last one so he can stay warm. Can you imagine doing that as a mama with the little boy? But she said, God has given me this son and I give him back to the Lord. Now, Thankfully, we don't have to give our children up like that. But there's a principle there that says you can have a plan for your kid's life or you can let God have his will 
in your kid's life. And 1 John tells us it does not yet appear what we shall become. So if it doesn't appear what we shall become, it certainly hasn't appeared what our kids will become. So this is why my wife and I now pray, and we've taught our girls to pray every day. Lord, I thank you for revealing your plan and your destiny for my life. Right now, the American culture says, if you don't get a four-year degree, you're a failure. Says who? Academia? The industrial education machine? Says who? The wealthiest men in America dropped out of college because it wasn't giving them anything. Some of the most broke people in America got broke trying to pursue a degree. They got a master's in some foolish degree, and now they're just serving coffee. Like, that's all they serve, not like steaks. All they serve is coffee, not against coffee. Who says you got to get a four-year degree? What if that's not the plan of God for your life? So my point is, as parents, we've got to be careful that we don't put our culture on our kids. And the American culture says, all right, mm, you're one years old. You're going to be a medical doctor. You're going to be the best cardiologist this country's ever seen. What if God says, no, they're going to be a stay-at-home mom. They're going to raise six babies. Three of them are going to be missionaries. Two of them is going to be a preacher's wife, and one of them is going to be a politician. What, what if that's the will of God? I thought we served Christ. I didn't realize we served America. Christ said, not my will, your will be done. And when he gives you a baby, it's not for you to live the college championship through. You have no idea what the destiny of Christ is in that child, the foreordained, predestined calling of God. You don't have any idea. Our culture teaches us to think one way, but that may not be the will of God. So we've got to be able to say, Lord, whatever you want with my child, because whatever God wants is the best thing for your child. That's where all the protection is. That's where all the provision is. The safest place on the planet is where you're called to be. The most dangerous place to be on the planet is out of the will of God. And you can be out of the will of God getting a PhD. You can be out of the will of God being a stay-at-home mom. You can be out of the will of God being a politician. You can be out of the will of God playing preacher. You can be out of the will of God faking anything you're faking. The safest place to be is a servant saying, Lord, not my will. Your will be done. Because you're the tool God made for his destiny. So you got to be what he's called you to be. And the only way you'll find joy or peace or fulfillment is saying, Lord, you made me. Use me as you see fit. When a master craftsman goes to Lowe's or Home Depot, he knows exactly the tool he wants. He buys what he wants and he knows what it's used for. God doesn't collect tools like some weird guys do. What's this tool do? I don't know. It's just cool looking. I like it hanging on the shelf. No, God has every one of us as a tool and an instrument designed according to his blueprint to fit him in our, his kingdom. Our life fits where he wants us. And what the American culture teaches us is to chase your dream. Well, if God made you to be a hammer and your dream is to be a screwdriver, or if God made you to be a wing nut and you want to be a nail, I just, I've always dreamed of being a nail. You're going to be frustrated and miserable. You've got to be what God's called you to be. And that's where all your gifts come out, where all your joy comes up. The best way to find peace is to submit. Our nation hates that word. Our nation is lawless. Our nation is, the mantra of our nation is, who do you tell, who you tell me what to do? Who do they think they are telling me what to do? We, we make it sound like a redneck because rednecks have the worst sounding intelligent voice on the planet. I mean, you go overseas, they want to sound stupid. They make fun of our accent. Uh, how you, <laughs> yeehaw, yep, yep, yep. That's, that, that's just kind of like how you sound dumb. Really how you sound dumb is this. Who are you to tell me what to do? That's how you sound super stupid. 
Your job as a Christian is to say, Father, not my will, your will be done. To find leadership and authority in your life and say, what, what is it you need me to do for you, boss? What is it you need me to do for you, professor, teacher, instructor, mommy, daddy? Do I have permission to do this? You know, you teenagers could still learn to submit, right? I'm just capping to think if I'm paying your bills, I own you. You know, you parents, you still have that permission, right? Did they live under your house? They submit. And if you bust them sneaking, strip them down. Take the last thing you blessed them with. The problem with feeding teenagers rope is they sure know how to hang themselves. I wonder why I'm touching on this. I remember Pastor Vaughn used to say, nobody's smarter than the Holy Ghost. It bugs me I'm touching on this now because I want to get to 1 Corinthians 9 and then I want to talk about the Proverbs 31 woman and I want to have a good Mother's Day message, nice and religious and feel good. But I'm a pastor, so I got to care for sheep, even teenage sheep who sneak. Once a sneaker, always a sneaker. You feed them that rope, they know what to do with it. <laughs> Amen. You can't trust teenagers with smartphones. You can't even trust most adults with a smartphone. Amen. All right, I'm done with that. First Corinthians 9. So then we started talking about the relationship of husbands and wives. It's so not feminist, but then again, God's not a feminist. He's a patriarch. Right now, it's real popular to destroy. Down with the patriarchy. Down with the patriarchy. Except that patriarchy is part of science, too. Patriarchy is part of the animal kingdom. So you can't say it's man-made like the feminists want to say. Patriarchy is all man-made. No, it's not. They are alpha dogs. The patriarchy, men are aggressive because we have hormones that run through our veins that cause us to be aggressive. Everything about our biology says aggression. We have a stronger frame. Even when it comes to reproduction, our parts are aggressive parts. And a female's parts are passive parts. Trying to be tactful here. So you can say down with the patriarchy, but what you are is anti-biblical. Now, we're all for God. I'm about to really exalt women here. You guys know how I do this. Uh, we're all for women being glorious and exalted and in their position and then they're fulfilling their roles. And we've made the argument over the last couple of services that in Genesis, when it says, and God formed man, the word is formed like a pile of clay. There isn't a lot to brag on. Now, God's clay pots are fearfully and wonderfully made. And the men say, yay, but we're still just formed like mud. But then when God made woman, he took the rib out of Adam and he formed or built, the, the Hebrew is built and constructed a woman. So it lends itself to a much more complex design. And every husband gets it. Every husband realizes my wife has way more graces than me. She's a mastermind. I call my wife the anointed octopus. She has eight arms going in eight different directions. She can manage my house. She is truly has the grace of a governess to be able to do all that. Timothy and Titus give our wives permission to be the governess over our home. They operate under the husband's authority and oversight, but we really just say, honey, fix it. You have my permission and my authority, fix it. Here's the checkbook, fix it. I, what color drapes? I don't care, just make it look pretty. If it was a guy's house, it'd have two bean bags, a flat panel, and nothing else. Maybe a futon. I went a long time as a single man with a futon because when friends come over, it's a couch. When they go home, it's a bed. Sometimes it's a bed and a couch. That's how guys work. But you got to have this woman added to you and all the graces God puts within her. But God also prophesied in the garden after the fall, she is going to be submitted to you. 
This submission's not a dirty word. Remember, we had two services where we talked about ontological economic subordinationism. Big words that just mean somebody's got to be in charge. Economic subordinationism says Jesus Christ is equal to God but submitted to the Father. Economic subordination says the Holy Ghost is God but submitted to Jesus Christ. That means everybody has a role to play and there has to be a head. So we understand that in marriage there has to be a head. Now, as I teach on marriage, I have to present God's best. And in presenting God's best, we may see where we have fallen short and hurt ourselves. I'm not here to beat anybody up, but I have to raise up the next generation of parents and spouses wanting better than maybe what we settled for. So this is not to condemn anybody, but this is to raise the standard for the next generation because we can see the church is shrinking in America due to bad marriages and bad parenting. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we kind of began to cover this last week. Verse 5, 1 Corinthians 9, 5. Have we not power? That's the word authority. Paul speaking as a man. Have we not authority to lead about a sister, a wife? Right there says so much to us about marriage. We're talking about God's uh, blueprint for marriage. Men are authorized, Christian men, Christian men are authorized to marry only Christian women. A sister. If she's not born again, she's not your sister. So this again tells us we're not to be unequally yoked. You don't even have permission from God to like a pagan girl. You don't have permission as a girl to like a pagan guy. So if they're pagan, you got to know instantly, which means you need to, if you're a girl and you're single and you're a guy and you're single, you need to let your Christianity go before you, which means you can't be ashamed. If you're ashamed, Christ will deny you, so your marriage isn't going to mount to anything anyway. you got to say, hi, I'm a, my name's Chris. I'm a Christian. I'm a born-again one. Fact, I'm a tongue-talking one. That will really, that'll just trim your dating life right there very quickly. <laughs> if you're not a coward. Now, remember, we believe in the Trinity. We're not just theoretical Trinitarians where he's a stained-glass dove hanging over the baptismal. We believe in a real Holy Ghost. And as Holy Ghost, he is God. If you're ashamed of the Holy Ghost, you're ashamed of God. So I'm not ashamed that. I can pray in tongues. I'm not ashamed of the Pentecostal experience. In fact, I like how it makes some people uncomfortable. I'm ashamed of seeker-friendly churches that were once spirit-filled, but they came so concerned with man, they rejected God. And they put the Holy Ghost in the back room with the old blue hairs. How dare you assume those that claim to seek God don't want them if you have them? Holy Ghost is God, right? Holy Ghost manifests through tongues, right? It's New Testament, right? Got a lot of scriptures for it, right? So why would be ashamed of it? Why would you want to draw a guy who isn't interested in the Holy Ghost when that is your life? Is it because you have a low standard? Or is it because you're that lonely? If you're that lonely, get back with the Holy Ghost because he's the comforter. This thing, is just, it's, the solution is very easy. The problem is you're spending too much time on TikTok learning how to dance. Men are anointed. We are authorized to lead about a sister. But notice that when we lead the sister, that's what makes her the wife. You can be married and not be a husband or a wife. Husband and wife is the title you're given. Just, just for the semantical argument, just like you can sire a child and not really be daddy. Just like you can give birth to the child but not really be motherly. You can be married and not really be a husband. 
It is possible to have a wedding certificate and rings on your finger and be mere roommates. So husbanding is an office. It's an anointing to lead about a sister. And when you begin to lead, you make her a wife. Just like I can be a hireling or I can actually lead a church and be a pastor. All, all pastors are preachers, teachers, but not all preachers, teachers are pastors. What makes a pastor a pastor is his ability to lead a flock. And you know what makes you a sheep? Your ability to follow. Not all of you are sheep. Some of you are goats. You don't follow. You do your own thing. You come when you want, usually late. You want to know what a goat is? A Christian that always shows up late. Because sheep, when you call muster, that's the technical term, they come a-running. Sunday school, 930. 10.30 service. Yeah, goats come and go as they please. They look a lot like sheep. To the untrained eye, they're similar, but they just really have a lot of drama in their life. And I wouldn't be a goat for nothing. Even our children learn. You want to be a goat? Nope. It's a good VBS song. Maybe we should throw it on the worship mix for the adults. So we can get that in your heart. I don't want to be a goat. I don't want to be a goat. Just come on time regularly. All right. So when you lead about a sister, you begin to make a wife out of her. She needs that leadership. Just like you on your job, you need the leadership of your boss. The leadership of your boss pulls things out of you you didn't even know was in you. If you go into the military, the leadership of a drill instructor, a drill sergeant will pull things out of you you didn't even know you had in you. Again, our nation is drunk with lawlessness. And lawlessness says, oh, no, you didn't. Who, did you, who do you think you are to tell me what to do? That's lawlessness. God can't do anything with a lawless person except call them to repentance. No matter where you go in life, you're going to be submitted to somebody. And that submission is going to bring things out of you rebellion could never get out of you. So part of our job as husbands is to lead our wife. We're the visionary. We're to honor our wife. There's, the, the, the marriage relationship is very dynamic, and I don't mean to hit in one direction or another too long. But just like our relationship with Christ is dynamic, we're both his child, we're his soldier, we're his body part, hands and feet, we're his vineyard, we're all these different things. We're his servant slave. He's the master. He's the vine dresser. He's all these different things. But yet, at any given moment, we're one thing in that relationship. Right now, we're talking about leadership, fellowship in a marriage. There's authorization on the husband's life to lead. And some men, because you've been emasculated through our post-feminist culture, you don't know how to lead. But that also teaches me and shows me to teach you young ladies, don't, don't fall in love with a man who has no ability to lead. Because you get married, it's going to be very hard for him to learn in the middle of the, the march. You don't build a house in the middle of a hurricane and you can't learn to lead when you're busy leading. You got to have some of that about you before you get married. So we're helping you ladies avoid hell on earth called bad marriage. Don't fall in love with a pagan. Don't fall in love with a believer who can't lead. We'd also add don't fall in love with someone who's got a weaker personality than you ladies. You don't want to fall in love with a man because you don't want to be stovepiped behind him. You don't want to be bottlenecked behind him. You don't want to be the tractor trailer rig traveling faster than the rig coming down the icy hill and the whole life is coming up and now you're just jackknife. You don't want that. You want to marry a man that's constantly going to lead and pull slack out of your life because in leading you in, those regard, in that regard, he's going to pull things out of you. Nothing else could get out of you. Good things. 
good things. I've seen too many marriages where the women were outdriven, outmotivated, outdisciplined in the husband, and she gets so frustrated with her man, she's doing everything in every direction, just trying to, looking for an outlet because he won't harness her. And she's submitted. She wants to have this beautiful marriage, but she won't, he, he won't lead her. And now they're bound. There's no grounds there for divorce. We don't promote that anyway. So now she just gets to be frustrated the rest of her life and wonder, what could I have accomplished had I married a leader? I'm not talking about a, a, a preacher leader. I'm not talking about a military leader, just a husband who can lead and say, honey, here's our vision for our family. Here's what God's saying to us about our home. Here's what God wants for our kids. Let's get together and do it. When I counsel families at our church, the number one complaint is I need more communication and vision out of my husband. I need to know where we're going. This comes back to verse five. We are authorized to lead about our sister and make a wife, a wife, a wife. The word lead about there is to take along with you, to lead by laying hold of, to lead because you know the way. Don't pursue or, or fall in love with a guy who's got no ambition. Don't, don't, don't fall for a guy who's just looking forward to Friday night. That is a horrible vision. Your vision's got to be bigger than Friday night. Amen. And so men, when we begin to lead our wives, we'll begin to see the things that are in them. We've said many times that there are more graces in women than there are in men. We've made the example. It's worth repeating. First uh, Peter three says that wives are to adapt themselves to their husband. But it says of husbands later on in chapter three, that we're to dwell with our wives in all intelligent recognition, giving honor unto her as the weaker vessel. So the intelligent recognition is I know what my wife's capable of. I can see what's in her. I know what sets her off. I know what makes her feel at peace. I know what makes her feel encouraged. I know what makes her feel weak. And I, I adjust my behavior for her. So I'm living, I'm adapting to her. But the adaptation part is this. If I die, this will go for all your marriages. If the husband dies and the wife remarries, the wife will readapt for the new husband. And she has the grace to do it. If the husband lives and the wife dies, the man's not going to change much in the new marriage. He's going to be a business owner. He's going to be a missionary. He's going to be a pastor. He's going to be a professor. He's going to be an engineer. And she, the wife, the new wife, is going to be the one making all the adaptation. Now, the man will make changes. We get it. But I think we also understand how much more the wife will adapt remarrying than the husband will remarrying because the vision is always resting with the men. If this bugs you, study your Bible turn off Christian TV, turn off your woke feminist networks and look at the Bible because women are more graced than men, but they have to be graced depending upon who they're hooking up with or connecting with in life. If I, my wife married, if I died and my wife married a doctor or a school teacher, she's going to be a totally different mom, a totally different person based on what he needs and whatever kids he might bring to the marriage, as opposed to how she was being a wife to me with our job as pastors. Amen. Amen. All right. So here's where we start beating up on men a little bit. We've used this before, but the church is about half new since I did this last. So let's throw this first picture up. We talked about men being formed like mud. And if men were a tool, we would be a flint-napped knife, capable of maybe cutting something. Nice Stone Age knife. You know, maybe you can gut a deer with that and skin it, maybe cut your steak up, maybe cut a few things, but that's a flint nap knife. I don't know what kind of tooth that is. Maybe that's a, a bear's tooth or who knows. 
And this is why women have to be so graced because this is what they're connecting with. And he, she knows he's going to need a lot more than just that. You know, this might be your calling to be a teacher. your calling to be a business owner. A man's calling is to do something in the earth. God have mercy on you, ladies, if you marry the next guy. I feel so sorry for you. Now, the shameful thing is dude knows how to work that. He has not learned his wife yet. All he can do is push her bad buttons. He's, not, he's learned how to work this thing. He's fluent in it. He doesn't have to look at it. It's braille to him. He can turn off 15 different things, turn on three things, swap. He's got it. Oh, man. Nobody else is allowed to touch this but him. This is the clicker. That's his scepter of righteousness. <laughs> the woman, unfortunate enough to be married to this guy, she's going to have to be heavily, heavily, heavily graced. Only thing worse than this is the next guy. Dude can totally level up with that. Oh, man. Yeah, he's like 95th level World of Warcraft, man. He's Minecraft. He's all that. Man, his, his whole life is caught up online. He knows the voices of those people in his ear set. Never fall in love with this guy, ladies. If, if a guy has a video game addiction and it's a real deal, a video game addiction is only slightly better than a porn addiction. A porn addiction is only slightly better than a drug addiction. And I would not counsel anybody to marry an alcoholic. I would not counsel anybody to marry a drug addict or a porn addict. And I wouldn't permit anybody to marry a game addict because this is going to make the wife feel second class. Porn addiction is like... I mean, you're living in adultery in your home. No man with a porn addiction has any business courting a girl. So you young men, listen to me. You don't have any business looking at a girl because you're already looking at a thousand in all her parts. You don't have any business being interested in a girl because you're, you're an addict. So you need to get delivered from porn before you can even begin to show any kind of interest in a girl. Because as long as you're addicted to porn, your heart is double-minded. You have an impure heart. You're not going to be able to give that girl all of your heart. You've given it to a hundred whores on television or on the palm of your hand in the phone. It's awfully quiet because porn is an addiction they say 80% of men in the church have. That's the American stat. I've had to change my marriage counseling now to discover earlier, listen to me, young man, do you have a porn addiction? Because if you do, we need to stop this courtship right now. You don't need to waste any time on this girl because that's time you need to spend on getting delivered from pornography. Because pornography eventually will bring a demon. It'll bring a demon just like drug addiction does. I mean, so, so where are you with Christ if you're both a drug addict and a porn addict? or an alcoholic, because all these go hand in hand. I'm not against video games. I'm against porn, and I'm against drugs, and I'm against alcohol 100%. Games are only slightly better, because there's nothing necessarily vile, though there are a lot of wicked games out there. You're awfully quiet on me, trying to help marriages. God's best. I have a dear friend. His, his daughter was abandoned by her husband, 
She, she was hung out to dry. He, all, all he did was play video games. This assembly's a God family, ministry family. The daughter said, Daddy, I don't know what's wrong. He won't even make love to me. He just sits in there and plays video games. And the whole marriage, he just totally broke his covenant over video games. He became so consumed to video games, he just abandoned his wife to play them. She felt second class the last two years of their, or so of their marriage. So, boys, because really that's who plays this you know, 10 hours a day is boys, boys. Um, yeah, you need to learn how to be able to fast this and just use it as maybe, you know, an hour here, maybe this weekend. I mean, I get hobbies, but be careful with this. All right. Now here's what you hope to marry. There we go. There's the guy. He's got some potential. Whoo. He, he got a little knee reflex hammer on that little Stone Age army knife, and he's got a little spearhead on there, like he's going to cut an apple with it, and I think that's a little sugar scoop for his coffee. Now, man, you're marrying high up in society, ladies. But at the same time, when we get it, we're, like, we're just like a one-hit wonder. We're really just focused on one thing, and this is why, ladies, you need to be very, very careful. Please, ladies, do not settle. Do not settle. Do not settle. Do not settle. God has a righteous man for you. Your job is to stay busy in his garden working for God and not in the garden fishing for men. When Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men, it had nothing to do with dating. It had everything to do with soul winning. But now this is where we exalt women because this is how women are. (laughs) Women are this way. And it's the husband's job to bring the best out of her. Because the husband's vision, go back one, the husband's vision is not going to get accomplished like this. Because every man, God has placed a greatness upon him to do this and start a business and get this degree and and be a part of this church and help in that ministry and go on this mission trip and win the neighbor and win the family and lead the the children. And and all this goes on, but it's impossible for any man to finish his race like that. Even Paul, who never married and burned the candle at both ends, had an entourage that traveled with him. Even he had to use women from the other churches to help him do things. So he was even tapping in to the woman's grace, though he was never married that we can tell at all. So go back to the woman now. So here it is. I always use this as the example. Women have this, these many graces in them, and I will guarantee you, most women don't even realize half of what they're capable of. They don't know until that demand is put upon them by their husband. My wife doesn't know what she's capable of until all of a sudden I have an idea that we need to do in the family or even the church, and I say, honey, take care of this. And she'll say, hmm. And she'll have to go get with God. Lord, I don't know how to do it. And the Lord will flip her over, flip her around and say, yeah, you do. And pull this thing out of her. All of us, and to some degree, this is just a a modern allegory. All of us are somewhat like this. We have no idea what we're capable of until leadership puts a demand on us. This is why the devil wants you marching around saying, who are you to tell me what to do? Because as long as you live with that ignorant redneck attitude, your knife stays closed up and you're like the dull knife that you dulled the first week you had it because you didn't know how to use it. Who are you to tell me what to do? I'm the guy that will bring the best out of you. Now, in a marriage, this is what your wife is, gentlemen, and you need to make sure that you take care of her and treasure her. She's the weaker vessel. Didn't say she was an incompetent vessel. Didn't mean she wasn't a multifaceted vessel. uh, vessel. But I've got a Swiss Army knife. 
My Swiss Army knife is obviously not that big. It's about, you know, a tenth of that. It's got a knife, but it's not the biggest knife. It's got tweezers. They're not the best tweezers. It's got a toothpick. It's got a pen. It's not the best pen. It's, it's a great tool. I take it with me all over the world. It's one of my most prized possessions. But I also have to treat it delicately. I'm not going to hack down a tree with the biggest blade on my Swiss Army knife. It's not capable, but it does so much for me. You've got to make sure you take care of your wives and bring the best out of her. What's this next picture? This is really what she's like when you cross her. When <laughs> this, this, you have her in your pocket and you say something really stupid and you're like, huh? You realize, mmm, I should not have said that. And your thigh is bleeding because she instantly just released all of her graces at once in your front pocket. <laughs> yeah. This is why you don't mess with a woman of God or even a pagan woman. She, uh, they say, don't, uh, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. That's why. That's a woman scorned right there. So much potential to shed blood. What, do I have, a, I have one more picture? That's the last one. So in talking about marriage, you got to make sure, number one, ladies, you don't settle for some handsome Don Juan smooth talker because who cares about that? You got you to be more appreciative of the plan of God. Realize that there's great potential. Go back to the, uh, the decent looking one. We don't want the angry woman knife. We want, there we go. That just seems, there's a lot of weapons there, but they're not hostily pointed. They're more like, on dis they're like peacock on display. They're not in attack mode. You've got to realize as a lady, there's a lot in you. You do not want to settle for a lazy man. And those are a dime a dozen right now. You don't want to settle for a man slower than you. You'll spend the rest of your life bottlenecked. And you might have a good two or three year honeymoon. But eventually you're going to say, all right, all right, come on. All right, all right. Come on, let's do this. And it won't get done. And you'll never know what the last 20 tools in your knife were. I don't want to go to heaven never having tapped into some of my graces. So when I, as a, as a husband, I know my wife, she's to make my life easier. My, my wife, if I'm doing this right, I'm staying so busy for God and so visionary for my family, she's able to do all the things. She's this multi-tool that, that's the clutch that fills in everything I'm doing between vision and rear drive, and we go somewhere. If you settle for a deadbeat, you'll be so frustrated. And likewise, husband, if you're married now and you don't give your wife vision or communication, you're really just hurting yourself. You're going without vital tools. You're going without vital skills. And so what it takes is both man and woman now coming together as one to accomplish the garden assignment. Remember, man had the garden alone and was working, 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 working. And there came a place where the Lord says, it's not good that he's alone. He didn't say he was lonely. He didn't say he was lusty. He didn't say he was talking to himself, crying himself to sleep every night with his blanket, eating chocolate, watching rom-coms. It said he's alone. There's more work. So man separated, or excuse me, God separated husband out of wife and wife out of husband, presented them to each other, and now they come together in unity, and they're able to put 10,000 to flight. If you're not flying anything, you don't need to get married. The only reason you get married is because there's more work to do, and then there's all the benefits of it. Our culture tells us we get married because it's what everybody else is doing. We get married because I'm 25 and my biological clock is ticking. Uh, we get married because I'm lusty. And let me, let me tell you, 
Marriage does not cure porn addiction. Marriage does not cure a porn addiction. Marriage does not cure anything. Marriage doesn't cure loneliness. You can be lonely in your marriage. Marriage is to advance the kingdom of God. I know that's not your culture, but it is God's culture. According to the Bible, you're so busy serving God, you need another gear to do more for him. And that gear is marriage. So if you're not serving God, and if you're hooked on porn, don't worry, marriage isn't going to come for you. Not God's marriage anyway. I certainly wouldn't give you my daughter. My daughters are not going to marry a guy outside church. My daughters are not going to marry a porn addict. I meet them, the first thing I'm going to ask them, you like my daughter? You hooked on porn? Lying to me will not get you anywhere, son. If you just say yes or no, and I'll help you. Yes, I can tell anyway. Amen. I'll help you. And you'll either get it right or you'll go away. But you're not going to like my daughter with a porn addiction. I don't, I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm trying to get you help. Porn addiction is a demon. Porn addiction is a demon. And it defiles anybody it touches. Plus, if you're on, online doing porn, you're feeding the sex trafficking thing. So every time you click, you're helping someone get kidnapped. You're helping somebody's seven-year-old daughter get taken off the street for some pedo. That alone, you ought to hate your flesh with everything in it. All right. Proverbs 31. Let's go back here. <laughs> Man, that's rough preaching. You're only sore when you don't work out usually. So if this service makes you sore, I want to know where you just came from. This is kind of business as usual around here. And when you work out and you're sore and you're used to being sore, you're like, that's a good workout. I can't stand a workout where I don't feel it three hours later. I want a service. I want the preaching of the word to let me know God touched my life. Because I'm not here to tell you how awesome you are. Because if you didn't know, your righteousness is filthy rags. You need Jesus Christ. Proverbs 31. This is a very cool passage. It's one of the few passages in the Bible written by a woman. Written by Bathsheba to Lemuel, which is another name for Solomon. And though this is the famous Proverbs 31 passage, I want you to understand this is the queen, David's wife, telling her son what to look for in a queen. Now, that ought to be every woman's ambition is to strive to be a queen. A high-ranking woman, a glorious woman, a woman full of splendor, a woman who fears her God. She's telling her son what to look for. Actually, we're going to pull this up in New Living Translation. We'll walk through it on the, on the slides here. Uh, go to Proverbs 31 there, Elizabeth. Uh, we'll begin in verse 9. This is critical because we'll see the Swiss army analogy in this Proverbs 31 woman. And we understand this is both who Bathsheba was. And you got to think about this. Bathsheba's writing this after she's dealing with the fact that she helped her first husband get killed. That she was complicit in an adulterous affair. That she had a son through David, through adultery, who died probably at about the age of three or four. We always envision the baby is stillborn. 
But the word used in the Hebrew to talk about David's baby dying is a word for toddler, which is heartbreaking because it means the baby's born, the baby's weaned, the baby's toddling around the castle. The baby has been endeared to the heart of both David and Bathsheba. And the Lord says, because you did this, even though it was four years ago, I gave you four years to make it right. And you haven't. The baby's life is mine. And the Lord allows the baby to die. So Bathsheba has to overcome unforgiveness. David, you're the reason my four-year-old just died. David, you seduced me. David, I loved Uriah and you seduced me and he's dead now. Everything I love is dead because of you. And now you're my husband and now we have Solomon. She really had to get her act together. That's a strong woman. Forgiveness will make you a strong woman. It's kind of contrary to today's culture that says unforgiveness, hate, tearing down the system. That's what makes today's women strong, except they go to bed miserable. Bathsheba overcame a lot and was able to be used of God to write this very, very famous passage. Now, before you get under any kind of pressure, I like what something um, Miss Trudy Blunt says. You can have all this, just not all at once. And this is a high standard, but we aim for it. For men, it would be wonderful to aim for. So let's read this together. Is that verse 9? Proverbs 31, verse 10. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? So that lets us know right off the bat, they are somewhat rare. We endeavor in this church to raise up all of our daughters to be this woman. I want my daughters, my daughters pray every night. Lord, thank you for making me a Proverbs 31 woman. I figure you pray that from the time you're three to 23, 24, probably pretty good. Yeah. She is more precious than rubies. A virtuous and capable wife is more precious than rubies. That sounds like something that's valuable. Her husband can trust her. If you've ever been through adultery, if you've ever been betrayed, you know how valuable this means. This is what men are looking for. This is what we can pull out of holy women of God. Her husband can trust her and she will greatly enrich his life. She will greatly enrich his life. That is what we're looking for in marriage. We want marriages to be enriched. I'm glad I can tell my wife regularly, honey, you make my life easier. Because of my wife's Swiss army abilities, I'm able to do everything I do. If my wife was incapable at home, I couldn't pastor. I couldn't take mission trips. I wouldn't be able to write books. I wouldn't be able to take on a second church. Anything I get to do for God, I am only able to do because my wife is capable. I trust her and she enriches my life. I am able to go and do, and I don't even have to think twice about what she's doing. I don't have to worry if she's out of bed yet. I don't have to worry if she's draining my checking account. I don't have to worry if my kids are dressed or fed. I don't have to. My home life gets no second thoughts out of me. That is the only way I'm able to do what God's called me to do. This is why you men, you've got to find a virtuous and capable woman. If she doesn't live for the kingdom, I don't care if she does speak in tongues. She's not worth marrying. I'd rather marry a non-tongue talker who lived for the kingdom than a tongue talker who lived for herself. Tongues means nothing when you're selfish. Because if you can be selfish and pray in tongues, that's a powerful will to override the Holy Ghost. Next verse. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. 
She brings him good. So this is part of that Swiss army thing. She's got all these graces within her. And one of the things she does with these graces is help him. She doesn't harm him. She doesn't learn how to use her skills to undermine him. She brings him good, not harm all the days of her life. This ought to be the ambition of every woman. I want to bring my husband good. I never want to hurt my husband. I never want to set him back. I never want to harm him, hinder him. I want that to be my dying breath. Lord, I hope I have helped my husband every day of my life. You're quiet this morning. Does this, does this violate your feminist sensibilities? Anybody want to be opposite this? Anybody want to marry opposite this? You're awfully quiet. All right, next verse. She finds wool and flax and busily spins it. Now, this is fun, but if you understand the context, this is very sobering. This is the queen. The queen is talking to her son, the future king. And to find wool and flax and to busily spin it, this is children's work. This is way beneath the queen. This is way beneath the prince's future wife. But what this means is she'll do even the smallest task. Nothing is beneath her. She's not too big. Even in this country, even 100 years ago, children would come home and spin flax or spin wool to make thread so mama could make something on the loom so they could have clothing. But it was children's work. Many cultures around the world today still have things that only children do. When I was in Nigeria and they were going to cut the grass in Pastor Okwokwo's courtyard, they all had the hand sickles, and I was really excited to get to do it. I was like, yeah, let me serve in ministry of helps here. And Pastor Okwokwo said they're going to be cutting the grass later. I said, can I come back and do this? He said, huh, it's children's work. I would not dishonor you by asking you to do that. It wasn't a dishonor to me, but in his culture, why would he ask me to do children's work? He, I'm the preacher who's come from America. I would have been greatly honored in my cultural mindset to be able to cut Pastor Okwokwo's grass. There are certain things that are just kids' work that you would, adults would never do because it's too far beneath them. This is one of them. But the queen saying, a good woman, no task too small for her. Amen. Next verse. She is like a merchant's ship. That doesn't mean she's as big as one. <laughs> now, if you are or if you want your wife to be, that's okay. This is not talking about how big she is. Some cultures like big women. Some folks don't like a big woman. I don't really care. It's between you and your God. She's like a merchant's ship. She's able to go very far distances. Once again, she's not easily inconvenienced. She goes a long distance to find what her family needs. She brings food from afar. We're blessed in this nation. I mean, we, we get frustrated in Cookville. I had to go to three grocery stores to find Tony Sachery's seasoning. Cantaloupe is so hard to find right now. Can you believe they're out of strawberries? And then, that's our culture right now. Out of Diet Coke. You can't find Diet Coke zero anywhere in town. Diet Coke, vanilla Diet Coke. She's willing to go as far as it takes to provide for her household. Next verse. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household. And she plans the day's work for her servant girls. You're not having to wake this woman up. She doesn't have nine alarms set. Two electric, one digital, three on her phone, a rooster in the backyard, <laughs> and a friend that calls her at 6.15 just in case 30 minutes of alarms didn't do the job. Like some of you. 
she gets up before dawn. She gets her whole household going. So she's not beyond doing children's work, but at the same time, she's still above everybody and she gets her whole household moving. Next verse. She goes to inspect a field and buys it. So not only will she spin thread like a child, she's also a real estate broker. She knows she doesn't just inspect a field. She doesn't just buy it. She knows what to look for. So she's She's landscape inspector. She's horticultural inspector. She's agricultural inspector. She's an intelligent woman. She's into real estate. But she'll do the menial task at home too. And with her earnings, her earnings, you mean she's got a side job? With her earnings, she plants a vineyard. So she's got money to buy a field, and then it takes a lot more money to begin to get the vineyard up and running. So she's spinning flax. She's up early. Her household's running. Her kids know what to do. And then when she leaves, she's like, oh, I got to go inspect that field because I think I want to buy it. But I've got to inspect it first so she knows what to look for. And then with the extra money, she starts a vineyard, which is more money. Feminists don't have anything so far. Feminists just screech a lot with master's degree in feminist studies, feeling empowered while their husbands hate them and their kids go to hell. Let's keep reading. She is energetic and strong, a hard worker. Amen. Gentlemen, don't marry a lazy woman. Ladies, don't marry a lazy man. If you marry two lazy people together, you got welfare. But if you can marry two energetic, strong, hard workers they're going to get a lot done for God. Their marriage is going to be beautiful. Their household's going to be cared for. Their careers are going to flourish. The house of God will be cared for under them. You want to be just as energetic and strong and a hard worker as your man, and your man wants to be just as energetic and strong working as your woman. You cannot be a lazy woman and please God. Amen. This is what is called exegetical scriptural teaching. We're going through line upon line and looking at what a wise woman of God said about wise women of God. It's not American. It's just godly. Next verse. She makes sure her dealings are profitable so she doesn't waste money. If she's an entrepreneur, she's very shrewd. A good, shrewd is not a dirty word. Shrewd is a biblically profitable term. She's not wasting money. She's not hiring deadbeat people. She's not keeping deadbeat people on payroll. She's not dealing in losses. She's constantly checking her books to see where am I profitable? Where am I losing money? She has a balanced checkbook. She knows how to manage her time because you can't be profitable and not control the clock. Profitable people control the clock. You can't just come in late to everything and profit. You'll always be in debt. And you'll hand that laziness down to your kids and watch them go nowhere faster. Her lamp burns late into the night. So she's up early, she's up late. But this is all to make sure her dealings are profitable. Do you think debt pleases God or profitability pleasing God? I'm not even talking financially. A a debt-filled life or a profitable life? We know profitability pleases God. But that takes work, work, work work. Our culture right now in America is making it popular to beat down folks that work hard and say they haven't earned their money. Let's give it to the folks who refuse to do anything. We're also calling that justice right now. When you take from people that were, I'm all for punish, punish people who are corrupt. I'm all for that. Shut down businesses that are corrupt. I'm all for that. Those that are cheating tax code, I'm punish them. I get it. But just to work hard and say, you didn't earn that. 
You didn't build that. Oh, I'm sorry, who did? This is a woman who makes sure all her dealings are profitable. She's up late burning the midnight oil to get it done. Next verse. Her hands are busy spinning thread. Her fingers twisting fiber. Even after this day of wheelings and dealings in real estate and planning vineyards and making sure her accounting is tight, she's still up late at night doing children's work because no job is too little. If it takes it to get the job done, she'll do it. Next verse. She extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. In biblical times, they really were poor. If you have on $200 shoes and a $1,000 phone in your hand, you are not poor. You are entitled. These are really poor people. She has enough profitability she gives to them. It's not even like panhandlers in our city who actually make more money than some of us do. You have to pray before you give to these people today. In those days, you didn't have to pray. Next verse. She has no fear of winter for her household, for everyone has warm clothes on. No fear. They're taken care of. One of the things that blesses my wife, she knows where all my kids' clothes are. This is a grace daddies do not have. She, my wife knows where all my clothes are. <laughs> she knows where all my kids' clothes are. She knows she's already got it laid out where they're going to grow out of this. So by fall, they'll be wearing these. She's already buying this in anticipation of next winter. She's already cycling shoes through. And I just, where's t-shirts at, kids? They're, the kids know. I don't know where they are. Where are your shoes at? Well, honey, where's your dress? It's in Bud Bud's closet. Okay, where? Well, beside, and they learned all that from mom. I have no idea. This is not a daddy grace. You go to my Swiss Army knife, there's just a void slot there. There's nothing there. <laughs> this is one of a mommy's grace that she can, and they always look good. Diligent moms, their kids always look good. Hair's always brushed. I mean, I like, I, I joke. It's not a joke. It's honestly, if mama leaves town, my kids will wear the same thing every day in a row. I promise you that. And they'll all wear flip-flops and I won't care if they brush their hair because I don't care. <laughs> I got other fish to fry and it ain't making my kids look good. This is cookful, y'all. If we got dressed to go to Walmart, we're better than most. <laughs> pajamas are the official Walmart outfit. You can tell where someone's going to go shop by the amount of pajamas they're wearing and Uggs boots. <laughs> Verse 22. She makes her own bedspreads. She dresses in fine linen and purple gowns. So when it's all said and done, she doesn't look like a frumpy homeschool mom. <laughs> Got to take a swing on that because we homeschool. There's stereotypes everywhere and there's always a truckload of truth. She doesn't look like a frumpy homeschool mom. She still looks respectable. All this, really, gentlemen, this is all, the, we're not even done yet. We're getting there. This is what God calls the weaker vessel. So dude, you're stronger. She's doing all this and you're back there clicking. You're back there gaming. You're back there tweeting, memeing. This is what the weaker vessel is capable of. Can you imagine what would happen if she actually married a stronger vessel? I'm not convinced every weaker vessel in this church actually married a stronger vessel. Quiet. Cricket, cricket, crickets. It's Mother's Day. It should make you love your mother a lot more because she managed to do all that and keep you alive. <laughs> she dresses in fine linen and purple gowns. Next verse. Her husband is well known at the city gates. Now remember, this is the queen talking about the king. 
talking to the future king. Why is David able to be successful, but that he has a wife like this? Why will Solomon be successful, except he get a wife like this? Now, we joke about, of course, the man's doing nothing but sitting. But honestly, he's only able to go and be a politician and steer Jerusalem because he can trust his wife so thoroughly. It's really not that he's lazy because to run a kingdom is a lot of work. It's mentally stressful. It's taxing. And on top of that, you've got your own household to deal with. He can only sit at the city gate and deal with civic leaders because his wife's at home and he doesn't have to think twice about her. Please, wives, understand, when we as husbands have to exert a lot of mental energy because we don't trust you, it limits how far our families can go. My wife and I are not perfect human beings. We do not have a perfect marriage. But I can say in light of this, when it comes to my personal home, I don't think twice about nothing. I trust her. She has just proven herself. She can handle everything. She's even told me as much. I said, honey, I got to go on another mission trip. I think I'm going to do three mission trips this year. She said, look, she said, I don't mean to offend you. I can run this home without you and I'll do a good job. And I'm like, oh, no, I know. You just make sure this trip is God so you can come back to us. That's all I need to hear. I got this. Even if it's 17 or 18 days in East Africa, I got this. I'll run this home. I don't need you, honey, which kind of hurts me a little bit. <laughs> but that's what I need her to say so I don't have to worry about my house if I'm halfway around the world preaching the gospel. If I didn't trust her, I couldn't do what I'm called to do. Her husband is well known at the city gates where he sits with the other civic leaders. He doesn't worry about her sleeping around, wasting the money, the kids running like vagabonds. It's not like home life isn't Lord of the Flies if daddy's not home. (laughs) Kids running around in loincloths with spears they made out of Legos. (laughs) Next verse. She makes belted linen garments and sashes to sell to the merchants. This speaks of her ingenuity, her work ethic, and her courage. Uh, one of the commentaries says she actually goes down to the, sales, uh, the salesman from Tarshish. She's dealing with Persians and Gentiles, unsavory cutthroats. She don't have a problem. She has so much courage, she knows how to wheel and deal. You kidding? I'm married to the king. My husband supports me. My household supports me. This is the deal you're giving me. If you don't want it, don't take it. But I ain't willing to deal with you all day. This is a bold woman. So now we've moved out of landscaping and agriculture and real estate to textile industries. This is what every Fortune 5 woman hack wants to be. She's got it though. And she has peace at home. Next verse, almost done. She is clothed with strength and dignity. You can't say that about today's feminists. And she laughs without fear of the future. Every feminist I've ever met, known or read after, were plagued with fear, terrified. This woman has no fear because her husband supports her. Anything she's doing, she can shut down at a moment's notice and readjust somewhere. She has nothing to prove. She is clothed with strength and dignity. There's not an insecurity thing there. She's not trying to show up She's just doing what she's called to do. She's this fully equipped Swiss army woman, Swiss army knife with all these graces coming out of her. And her husband is leading and able to pull all those things out of her. If she's got to always worry about her husband, she's not going to be able to do any of this. So men, get with the program. Tell your wife the vision. Men, have a vision. Women, don't marry a man without a vision. Don't marry a man who's more excited about the next time the next game comes out. When, when your dates are all about the next edition 
of Rebel Alliance coming out, or Grand Theft Auto, or World of War, whatever the newest dumb time waste is, don't date that guy. You're going to be miserable when the kids come along. She laughs without fear of the future. Next verse, almost done. When she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instructions with kindness. Not the feminist screech owl that we're so familiar with. 27. She carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. Laziness will make your life suffer. 28. Her children stand and bless her. This is a cultural thing. She comes home and her kids stand up to say, we love you, mom. We were blessed, mom. We bless you. It's like a standing ovation. Today's feminist mom, she comes home, her kids don't even acknowledge her. They're too busy on this little dumb device called a smartphone talking about how much they hate their mom. I just hate my mom. If I ever heard my kids say that, I'd take you to the homeless mission for two or three days because you deserve to be there. I hate you, mom. You'd be sleeping outside. Everything I ever bought for you would be taken from you. Not with this Proverbs 31 woman. She comes home. Her kids arise from whatever they're doing and say, Mother, we bless you. Mother, we bless you. We're so glad to be under your household and under your tutelage. You ought to ask your kids, do you want to be anything like Mama? The... (laughs) It's Mother's Day. I could give you a religious flowery message or I could pastor you and make you better. Because we got to admit, some of our moms aren't worth praising. But I want to raise a generation of moms whose kids want to be just like them. I want my son to say, I want to marry someone just... Well, right now, actually, he does want to marry mama. But that's because he's three. But I want him to grow up and say, I want to marry someone just like mom. I want my girls to grow up and say, I want to marry someone just like my dad. I want my girls to say, I want to be just like mom. I want to be everything like my mom. I want my boy to say, I want to be just like my dad. Her husband praises her. She comes home and he's happy to see her. Or he can't wait to get home to be with her. That's what she, apart from all this Fortune 500 success, this is the most valuable. She comes home and her family is excited to see her. He's not some caveman and says, where you been all day? What are you done? He knows exactly where she's been because he trusts in her and he's not a jerk. And he stands and praises her. What, what a woman of God I've been given. What a holy woman. I, I, can, I can lead my kingdom because my wife protects my home. She is the governess. Next verse. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. That's enough said right there. Next verse. Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. That's kind of the crux. That's saying, if you fear the Lord, all those 17 prior verses will define your life. Fearing the Lord manifests like that. Feminism does not look like that. Feminism makes you hate this passage and probably the way I just taught it. But I can tell you, any man of God wants something like that. But you men of God, to have a woman, you got to be able to lead her 
and pull these kind of things out of her because these are the things that are tucked away in every woman. When girls are little girls, you already start to see this coming out of them in their nurturing ability. They, they, boys want to destruct, 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 destruct. Girls are up there. They're babying with baby dolls. They're putting together Barbie houses. They're already homemaking. Even at two and three years old, little girls are exhibiting the grace to be a governess. You don't buy little army bunkers for boys. They'll just break them anyway. But you do buy Barbie dream castles for girls, and they start manifesting the governess anointing, changing diapers. God, boys don't want to do that. Grown men don't want to do that. Feed a baby. They want to do that at two. Grown men don't want to do that at 22. This is just our graces. You act like you never heard that before. You know, it's exactly the truth. So we're talking about God's blueprint for family. Please don't listen to our nation. Our nation knows nothing about everything. And we're, we're inventing new ways of destroying ourselves. Let's, let's develop another way to destroy culture and let's sell it like this has been accepted for 10,000 years. And if you don't like it, you're a phobe of some kind. I'm sorry. I've pastored long enough and I've watched families do this right and I've watched families do this wrong. This right here brings peace to a home. And peace in a home raises normal kids. And normal kids go on to be, have normal lives. And it repeats itself. What we're facing right now is unnormal kids, dysfunctional kids, uh, maladjusted kids. And they will go on to get married and have weirder kids. And our society will degenerate because of a lack of biblical blueprint. Amen?